Good morning, everybody. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at Legacy. Whether you're joining us right here in the sanctuary or on a screen, we're so glad you decided to join us for worship today. We're enjoying the balmy 14-degree weather, and we're going to take some time learning how we deal with difficult people. First of the past couple weeks, the first week we learned we are supposed to sincerely love. We are called to sincerely love. Christ loves you and me. You and me, guess what? We're difficult people from time to time, and Christ still loves us. So we sincerely love everybody through prayers, through our acts, showing them that Jesus loves them too. Last week, we discussed genuine hate. We don't get to hate anyone as followers of Jesus, but we can hate our own actions. We can hate the actions of others, all that stuff that draws us and others away from God. So may we stop snacking on what draws us away from God, cling to what is good, and may we love better so we can know what to truly hate in the world. Today, friends, it is time to give peace a chance. Over the past holiday weekend, I got to engage in something that is one of my most favorite hobbies, playing video games. Now, it was in that setting I discovered I really don't work for peace when I'm playing video games. So Eli, my son, and I, we played some Mario Kart together, and then at various points throughout the weekend, a couple of our Boston family joined us, and we played Fortnite together. Last Sunday, I preached a message on mercy and forgiveness. That Sunday afternoon, while I'm playing Mario Kart and Fortnite, I'm thinking, man, I am showing zero mercy, zero forgiveness. I played a win, and I played brutally at times. There was no giving peace a chance. I played to win. I personally, I got all kinds of peace and enjoyment out of that hobby, not sure about all the people I knocked out and eliminated in Fortnite. Now in Mario Kart, I've been known once I get hit by a turtle shell, not just to return one turtle shell, but to follow up behind somebody and return three turtle shells. Friends, that is not even eye for an eye revenge, that is primal escalation when I'm playing Mario Kart. That's not even ethic mentioned in your Bible. That's how primal that is. In Fortnite, I protected our team of four, but everyone else was fair game. No mercy, no peace, until we celebrated the victory royale. Now, my video game world, it was thoroughly enjoyable, a great time with family and friends, but there's not a lot of peace to be had when you're playing those kind of games. If you're looking to find some video games that have more peace, I'd recommend something along the lines of Animal Crossing instead. In fact, instead of finding peace, I gave a whole lot more pain in the video games, especially via turtle shells and banana peels. Now, so often in our own lives, we want peace. Even with those difficult people in our lives, we seek peace with them. But too many times, we get back pain instead. We try to make peace with a difficult neighbor, and they're having none of it. We've tried everything to try to make peace, and they don't want to change. We try to make peace with a difficult relative, and they're not changing their encounters with you at all. Why bother you think? Why shouldn't I just return the same, an eye for an eye, or escalate, send them a verbal turtle shell or banana peel once in a while? Why do I always have to take the high road? It is no fun. It's work. We try to make peace with that kid at school, and no matter what you try to do, they are the same difficult self you're always dealing with. And doesn't it feel, over the past few years, that we have become a bit more difficult together? 
While the internet has been an incredible tool for connection, like playing games with family and friends over a great distance, it's also made us more difficult. It's made us experts in fields that we are not. I mean, even before the internet, how many of us are armchair quarterbacks? I mean, we've done this for a long time. How many of us knew they should have run up uh, they should have run the ball up the middle instead of a pass play. How did the coach not see that? That's ridiculous. I could do a much better job than that. I mean, right? Corey is the only one in this room, not Pastor Corey. A different Corey who coaches, he's the one who can make those calls, but not me. I have zero experience in coaching football. Or over the past few years, how many of your family and friends suddenly became infectious disease experts during the pandemic? Right? Or how many of us, now that we're in a new election season, we know exactly what's going to happen, regardless of the teeny tiny amount of votes that have actually been cast? Friends, the internet has made us, as a whole, together, more difficult to deal with with each other. It is so hard to live with each other, even in the same church, when we don't see things eye to eye. God's passion for us, God's desire, is for us to live at peace with each other, especially the difficult people in our lives. So let's spend a minute in scripture this morning and see what advice it has for us as we try to give peace a chance. You're invited to open up to Romans 12. We're going to start in verse 18 today. You can follow along in your own Bible on your favorite device that you've got or on the screen with me. Now, as a reminder, this letter to the Romans was written by Paul. He was a first century church planter, he was a missionary, and he was a tent maker. He was a blue collar worker. In this, one of his last letters, Paul gives some of his deepest thoughts on God, some of his deepest thoughts on what it means to follow Jesus, and how we should interact with each other and others. There's also some great verses to memorize in this chapter. They are great verses to put up on your mirror, make your phone background, as we seek to be these people that sincerely love, genuinely hate, and give peace a chance. Now, usually in January, you'll hear people take up the challenge to read the Bible through a year, and that's great. That's one of many great disciplines you can have to try to encounter God in Scripture. But it's also a very valid practice. Instead of just reading the whole Bible, it's to take one verse it is to take one verse and meditate and pray on it throughout the day. Like the verse we talked about for the last two weeks. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Say it with me. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Now, if you see that throughout your day, say you've made it your phone background, or you wrote it on a scrap of paper, you stuck it in your pocket, uh, you can meditate and pray on it as you see it throughout your day. Turn on your phone and you think, okay, well, how can I love the people I'm with in the next hour? What good should I hold on to as I work this afternoon? Holy Spirit, help me to see the opportunities to love the people I'm with tonight. Both habits, reading the Bible in a year or meditating and praying on one verse throughout the day or the week, they are, are powerful ways to connect us deeply with Jesus. Both of them have their place. Now, let's start in verse 18 of Romans chapter 12. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. 
Don't read this before playing Mario Kart. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Say it with me from the top. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. Your translation might say, as far as it depends on you, as much as it is possible, live in peace with others. I love that. As, far, as much as it's up to you, as much as you control it, live at peace with everyone, give peace a chance. Peace is a two-way street. As much as you might want to have peace with your neighbor, they could care less. As much as you want peace with your relative, they might not see any problem with your relationship. As much as you want peace with someone at school, they don't see it at all. This adage is true. The only emotions, the reactions you control are your own. No one else's. You control your responses. But through the power of God, we can still give peace a chance and find peace ourselves, even if the other party doesn't want it. Even if someone doesn't seek peace with us as followers of Jesus, we can find peace in ourselves to find the peace beyond whatever insane circumstances you might be dealing with and in this moment. Even if someone never seeks peace with you, we still work to build peace in our own minds, our own souls, our own spirits, and we act peaceful towards them. That is not easy, friends, but that is the Christian way to live. That's the Jesus way that we live, because it is through our living we might just encourage other people to follow Jesus just like we do. This scripture is a word for all of us who want to restore every broken relationship, every broken connection, every hurtful and painful word that's ever been said to us that's never been apologized for. There are those of us who cannot believe there are other people in the world who don't like us. Friends, there are just some connections that cannot be reconciled. There are some relationships for your health, your well-being, and maybe for their health and their well-being too, that you find peace separate. You don't find peace together, you find peace separate. Peace is not found by restoring the connection, but by finding peace outside of it. That's the reality of the people that we are, the world that we live in. Sometimes to find peace, we find it not in a relationship. Sometimes peace is found in forgiveness, but not in reconciliation, not in the restoration of a relationship. Now, every week, I'm struck anew with these words to the audience that Paul originally wrote them to, the letter, the people this land, that originally landed in. I'm struck anew with how these would have been heard in the first century. They were a people occupied by Rome. They were a people who did not have self-determination. They didn't get to vote for their leaders. They were forced to do whatever the occupying army wanted. And Paul's advice to them is not to raise up an army to attack. Paul, there is not a large group of Christians in Rome. It's to live at peace with everyone. And it's not just other Christians but it's other people who bullied and harassed them. It's the Romans who would send the Christians to their death. And just by this living, just by giving peace a chance that genuinely hate things that pull them away from God, and by sincerely loving others, these first century Christians will be able to encourage others to ask them why they do what they do, 
How can they possibly live this loving lifestyle as uh, brothers and sisters are being sent to their death? As they do that, it's going to encourage people to ask why they live the way that they do. And as a matter of fact, this is exactly what happens in history. Just by the way these Christians lived in the world, as Paul has spelled out here, a world full of violence, of revenge, they modeled something entirely different. Based on love and peace and grace that transcended any cultural or racial or language difference. That was weird and unique, friends. It is still weird today. And so many people joined this movement as a result of the way the Christians lived, as a result of how they carried themselves in the world. One author summed it up like this. He writes, In the first two centuries of the church, it was not Christian worship that attracted outsiders. It was Christians. It was Christians who attracted them. And outsiders found Christians attractive because of their Christian life, which discipleship and worship had formed. These practices of dealing with difficult people, including ourselves at times, aren't just ways to help us interpersonally. I mean, they can do that, but they are much more powerful than that. They can actually help people find Jesus. They can help people build a connection, a relationship with the one who wants to make them and you whole, who brings salvation not just after death, but right now in this world today of painful events, of relationships and disconnection. That's what living this passage can do for us. So I've got to ask, friends, are we the Christians who attract outsiders? Are we living differently enough for people to notice, for the world to notice? Or do we just blend in, moving through our days, just like everyone else? Paul's challenges over the last couple of weeks, this is not easy stuff. This is hard. Difficult people are hard enough to love when we must stay connected to them. We can't disconnect. Difficult students are hard. When we're in the same class day after day, we don't get to choose who's in the class with us. Difficult coworkers are hard because we see them at work every single week. But if we invite the Holy Spirit to work through us, to say we are not capable by ourselves, to sincerely love, to genuinely hate, to give peace a chance, but the Spirit is, Jesus is going to transform us over time. Your patience will grow. Your tolerance for difficult people is going to grow. You're going to begin to see them as God sees them. Again, there are times when separation for peace is necessary, but in most cases, when we deal with difficult people daily, the Spirit can help us build up and see, how, see others, how God sees them. The Spirit can help us live into this incredible challenge that both Paul and Jesus have set out for us. Now, as if Paul's challenge wasn't hard enough, he follows it up like this. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God, for the scriptures say, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. Let's say it together. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Don't take revenge. That isn't our job. That's God's job. Roman Christians, don't take revenge when you're insulted, beaten up, bullied on the street, or your friends and loved ones are killed by authorities. 
Do not take revenge. Are you serious, Paul? Yes, he is serious. And Paul's guidance is likely twofold. One, it's very practical. If Roman Christians take revenge against Rome, they're a powerful worldwide army. They're a teeny tiny group. They're going to be entirely wiped out with no chance to influence people around them to follow Jesus. But two, more importantly, on a deeper level, Paul knows the deep internal spiritual and mental damage holding on to revenge can do to us. Paul isn't making up some new commandments. This is Paul mirroring Jesus' words, challenging us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. And we all have pain in our relationships. When people hurt us through words or actions, things done or left undone, we can absolutely be a people that nurse our pain. We nurse our hurt. We don't give peace a chance when people hurt us. No, we give bitterness and anger and rage a chance to grow in us. When people say unkind things about us and those that we love, we nurse bitterness instead of peace. We drink poison expecting it to hurt others when we, of course, know that it only hurts us. We're all attempted to act in the same way that Ryan does. Ryan rose from a temp job in the office to the big boss, and he was fired publicly. Ryan is back at the beginning again, and here is how he responded to people that hurt him. This is a comedic clip from the Office TV series for you to enjoy. Take a look. And you got a goatee. I did. Did you get that after you helped me move and you saw mine? Yes. Goatee. Fire the guy. Hey, Kevin. <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah. It's great to see you, Kev. You too. I'm keeping a list of everyone who wrongs me. So when I'm back on top, they'll be sorry. Kevin just made the list. Jim. I want to apologize for how I treated you last year. I lost sight of myself, and now that I've quit the rat race, I realize there's so much more to life than being the youngest VP in the company's history. I've even started um, volunteering, giving back to the community. Oh, that's great. You're talking about your court-ordered community service? I don't need a judge to tell me to keep my community clean. But he did, right? All right. All right. <laughs> Just like Ryan, we can be the people that nurse our hurts. We make a list of people who've wronged us, we don't give peace a chance, and we're looking to take revenge. We make a list of people who we believe wronged us. We make plans. We settle for our baser instincts instead of reaching for this passage, reaching for God's best in us, in our lives, and in others. And instead of reaching for peace, we go back to our baser instincts and impulses. We ignore this passage, and we ignore another very famous passage we hear so often at weddings. Love is patient and kind, Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. This passage doesn't just apply to married people. This is written to all of us. This is for all of us, every single one of us. This is how we're supposed to treat everybody in every relationship, to love like that. Friends, the challenge today, it is hard, it is difficult. I'd say it's impossible for not for the help of the Holy Spirit. Stop nursing your hurt 
and focus on Jesus. Stop nursing your hurt and focus on Jesus. We need to stop focusing on the madness of people and focus on the goodness of God. That family member who betrayed you, the spouse who hurt you, the neighbor who's got nothing but unkind things to say about you, the student at school who will never say a nice thing about you. It's time to let the bitterness go. Stop nursing your hurt. Focus on Jesus. The way we deal with our pain is to look to Jesus. It's to remind ourselves how much we've been forgiven and shown grace and mercy. Do you remember how much Jesus has forgiven you your sins, your mistakes, your shortcomings, your failures? As we focus on the enormous debt that Jesus has forgiven us, our hearts, our spirits are going to make room for us to stop nursing our hurt and to extend just a little bit, just even a little bit of grace and mercy and forgiveness to those who have hurt us. Friends, we will not be overcome by our pain when we are overwhelmed by his grace. We're not going to be overwhelmed by our pain when we're overwhelmed by Jesus' grace. We don't need more bitterness. We don't need more anger. We don't need more rage. We need more of Jesus' grace. In our Wednesday night Bible study this last week, we discussed the story of the two brothers. The one who worked diligently for his father for years, and another who spent all of his father's money on wild living, only to come home to a party to be celebrated because the loss was found. The older brother was livid at the younger brother. He couldn't understand the father's grace. He could not understand the father's love that had to celebrate when the young lost son had returned home. I'm sure the older brother received grace for other things. I'm sure, but this grace for the younger brother was a bridge too far. We don't know if the older brother ever stopped nursing his hurt. The point of Jesus' story is to make sure you and I don't end up there permanently. There are many of us who relate to the older brother. Like in that Bible study, there are many of us who connect with that person who have high responsibility. We need to remember, though, friends, how much you and I have been forgiven how much we have to begin forgiven our mistakes so that our spirits can make room to help show forgiveness and grace to others. Today, the challenge is hard. Give peace a chance. Stop nursing your hurt. Focus on Jesus because we will not be overcome by our pain when we are overwhelmed by his grace. Let's bring it all to the table today. Let's spend a few moments together in prayer. I invite you to bow your heads and pray with me. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for the grace and mercy you have shown us. We confess we do not do a good job of extending that same grace, same mercy when people hurt us, say unkind things about us. We prefer revenge to grace. So may your Holy Spirit do a deep work in us so we can truly give peace a chance to grow in our lives, so the Spirit can help us to stop nursing our hurts and to focus on you. God, as we prepare to receive Holy Communion today, we confess that over this last week, we missed opportunities to love you fully and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So in this time of silent prayer, we lift up to you those moments we fell short. We lift up to you our mistakes. God, we lift up to you our sins to you now.
Jesus, we give you thanks for forgiving us each and every time that we ask. May your Holy Spirit empower us to love you fully, to love our neighbors as ourselves this week. Open up our eyes to opportunities. We can show your love wherever we're running around to in this week that is to come. Now, God, we lift up to you all the prayers spoken and unspoken today. And we pray together in the way that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.